you know, we uh, started out this year with our Multiply initiative, knowing that we, uh, God had called us to go to Jasper just because, uh, you know, a certain percentage of our church was driving down from there. But it's just amazing to see what God has done in the short amount of time that we have been in Pickens County. And again, you are hearing some of those stories there, but there are even more stories that it's just amazing about what God is already doing there. And so we wanted to share that with you as we talk about this new series that we're in, Mobilize, because we're trying to mobilize our church to accomplish some specific objectives so that we can multiply, all right? So that we can mobilize people to multiply. So you got M&Ms, right? Which is probably the greatest candy ever created, uh, especially peanut M&Ms. And so uh, that's just what I think of when I hear the word M&Ms. You just have to forgive me. But we're trying to mobilize people in order to multiply. And so we wanted to share that story with you as God continues to move in Jasper. And it's been amazing to see what he's done. But today we're going to talk about the third objective. So you have the Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. Uh, But before we get into it, if you would, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you, God, for who you are and what you've done. And uh, God, we are so incredibly grateful for what you're doing here in our church and and how you're uh, giving us the opportunities to spread out into multiple cities to seek the welfare of the people there. And so God, I pray that you continue to bless that. And God, as we open up your word today, I ask you to bless it. Uh, God, you understand my limitations and my frailty, God, but would you give us grace, give me grace to communicate your truth and give us ears to hear it. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter four. We're going to start there today in verse 28. Then we're going to move on to first Timothy chapter six and hang out there for the rest of our time together. But just in case you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, we're in a series called mobilize, as I referenced earlier. And our goal is to mobilize our church around some specific objectives to accomplish as a part of our multiply initiative. We started the Multiply Initiative at the beginning part of this year, and the whole point of that is to multiply our church and other churches into more cities. And so taking Revolution Church and and spreading out, multiplying into other cities that God has given us influence in, like Jasper, like Woodstock, and beyond that, but also taking the opportunity to plant new churches beyond Revolution Church. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit as we get into the message. But as what we talk about when we talk about multiply, we are saying, okay, there's some specific things we want to multiply. And so this series, Mobilize, is giving you those five specific things to say, here's what we want to uh, mobilize people to accomplish as we, mo- uh, I'm getting all my M's confused here, man. Maybe it's because I'm thinking of peanut M&M's. I'm not sure. Um, but we want to mobilize people to accomplish so that we can multiply. And so if you haven't been here for the last two weeks, we've gone over the first two objectives. The first objective was spiritual development. And we say spiritual development, what we're saying for us is that's our grow process. That's G-R-O-W, gospel, relationships, obedience, works. That's the journey of faith that we are on. It's having a relationship with God, his church, obeying him and doing good works and spreading out the message. And so when we talk about spiritual development, you might talk about spiritual formation, spiritual maturity. Our word is grow. And that's ultimately what our church is about. And you heard David say it, that, that, that Revolution Church Jasper is the same vision. We're trying to grow people there, just like we're trying to grow people here in Canton and beyond. And so when we talk about mobilizing people to accomplish something, the very first thing we want to mobilize people to accomplish is their own spiritual development, to learn how to lead themselves, to learn how to walk with Jesus, to be like Jesus. 
And each one of these objectives, we're going to come back around to next year and spend more time on them, more than just one message, a whole series on them. We've already laid those out for the beginning of next year. And I, I told you last week, I'll say it again, just so to remind you. But in January, we're going to do a whole series on spiritual development and do a 21 day prayer and fasting initiative as, as church-wide, Revolution Church, Canton, Jasper, where we're saying we want to really help people come around the idea of how to grow spiritually. And so be looking forward to that. It'll start the very first Sunday in January, so don't go buy groceries the Saturday before, all right? Because we're going to be doing a whole fast prayer, reading our Bible initiative, because we want to help you learn how to develop spiritually. The second objective we talked about last week was family development, which is so closely connected to the first one, because family development is saying, not only do I want to make sure that I'm growing spiritually, I want to make sure my family is growing spiritually. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so when we talk about family development, we're talking beyond just our Rev Kids and Rev Students Ministries, which are unbelievable ministries, which you know take the whole grow process, grow kids, grow students, try to accomplish it there. But to go beyond that and say, we don't want to just have a ministry for the kids and the students. We want to also partner with parents and help parents understand how to disciple their own kids because the command is on the parents to disciple their kids, not the church. So we want to partner with parents, partner with families for strong marriages, strong families, because our church is only as strong as our families. And so that's objective number two. Today, we're going to hit objective number three. So this is the third week in this series, and I'm going to give you this objective, and then we'll jump into Ephesians chapter four, all right? Here's objective number three. If you're taking notes, my very first point, very simply, objective number three is generosity development. Generosity development. You'll see a, a consistent theme all the way through. Each one of these have the word development because we're trying to develop these. And so when we talk about generosity, I want you to understand something. Generosity is not about raising money. It's about raising generous people. It's about raising generous people. It's about helping people become more like God in this area of generosity. And, and again, it's so closely connected to even family development because I want my kids as a father to grow up to be generous people. I want my kids to grow up and be a gift to the world, right? Not a burden on the world. So I'm trying to do my job for y'all, right? I want my kids to grow up and be generous. And the reason why that's such hard work is because our kids, if you got kids, you know one of their very first words is what? Mine, right? It's like Nemo, mine, 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 right? They're just a bunch of pelicans or I call them devil birds, right? Seagulls, right? To say, I didn't have to teach, I didn't have to sit my son down or my daughter down and say, listen, when, when people are going to come in here, they're going to want your stuff. But let me tell you something. You need to learn how to say mine. I didn't have to teach my kids that. You didn't have to teach your kids that. You're like, where did that come from? It came naturally. We are all born stingy people. Every single one of us. Mine, 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 mine. That's just how we are. That's human nature. And so we talk about generosity development. I want you to understand something. Our goal is we want to be a gift to the world. And in order to do that, we've got to go from being stingy people to generous people. So when we talk about generosity development, what we're talking about is the journey that each person goes on to be more like God, to be more like God, to be at the heart of God is to be generous. So this is about raising generous people. So let's jump in Ephesians chapter four, verse 28. And I'm going to show you kind of this process of generosity that the Bible calls us to go on. One verse here in Ephesians chapter four, verse 28 says this, 
Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Now, ladies, don't just look at the word he there and think, oh, that's right, all men are thieves, right? No, it's just talking about men and women doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Speaking of spiritual development, it's important to have you know, your own process of reading the Bible, being disciplined in that. And I'm not uh, necessarily the best, most disciplined person when it comes to my own spiritual development, but I do have certain devotionals and things that I read. And, and one of the devotionals I read, and you know, my goal is to read it every day, but let's be honest, I don't read it every day, um, is a devotional by one of my most favorite pastors in all the world, a guy named John Piper who is just an app on my phone. It's called Solid Joys. It's awesome. I would highly recommend it to you. So I just pull it up every day and there's a devotional there. And one a couple weeks ago was on this verse. So I want to give credit where credit is due because Piper pointed out something about this verse that I hadn't really noticed before or I didn't see it the way he was communicating it. And, and what he pointed out was there's really three different levels three different levels that we can be on when it comes to generosity, when it comes to our relationship with stuff, as pointed out here in this verse. So level number one is this, and they're not on the screen, but you can take notes with me. Level number one is you steal to get. You steal. Anybody here ever stolen something? A few of you raise your hand. You don't have to, I'm not trying to incriminate you. You're like, oh, you're right. You know, like, I stole from her, right? No, I'm not trying to incriminate you. And when I talk about stealing, right, I'm not just, I'm not just talking about, did you take something from the convenience store? Um, and I remember the very first time and really the only time I ever stole. Uh, I want to confess it to you, all right? When, when I was a kid, uh, growing up, there was a convenience store, a gas station, whatever you want to call it, two blocks from my house. And me and my buddies, that's where we hung out. And so I would walk there, ride my skateboard there. I would ride my bike there. I'll never forget, I mean, the, my whole growing up, gas was under a dollar. Like, you know, 70 cents, 80 cents a gallon, right? And when it went over a dollar, I just thought the world was coming to an end. Now it's like, oh, it'd be awesome if it was, right, you know, under $2. Um, but we would go there all the time and I would always scrounge up money and change to go to the convenience store to try to, try to get candy, right? I mean, I've got a sugar addiction. So I was always trying to get candy. I mean, I was looking through couch cushions, right? Pockets, trying to get change. Well, this one time my buddies and I were at the, the convenience store and I just didn't have money. And my buddy said, well, just take it. And so there was a piece of, remember, you know, the, the double bubble, like bubble, individually wrapped bubble gums that, you know, gives you like five seconds of flavor and then it just turns into tar, right? Um, well, there was some there on the bottom and my favorite was the green ones, the sour apple ones. And so my buddy said, yeah, just take one of those. And, and I wasn't even a believer at this time. And so I took it, put it in my pocket and we left. And when I got home and started chewing on it, man, my conscience was just like, oh, I can't believe I just did this. And I was I was afraid of my father. I was afraid of going to jail, right? I just knew my whole world was gonna come to an end. So I, it was like five cents is how much they cost. So I scrounged up, I can't remember if it was a nickel or five pennies, but I, I got some change, went back to the store, told the lady what I had done, because she knew me. She knew my dad. I mean, it was, like, it was like a family store, right? My dad got gas there. We were in there all the time. And, and thankfully, she didn't prosecute me, right, for stealing a piece of double bubble. But I'll, I'll never forget just that feeling of like, oh my God, I know I'm not supposed to steal. 
And I think anybody in church world, even people I would say that are not in church would be like, oh yeah, it is not right to steal. But the Bible says, let the thief no longer steal because there are thieves that steal. And the word steal is the Greek word klepto, which I thought was interesting because we just brought that into English and we have kleptomania, right? That's where the word came from. It came from this Greek word. And that phrase there, kleptomania, means an impulsive urge to steal. But you know what I've realized? Stealing can be overtly or covertly, right? Like I overtly stole a piece of gum, but there's a lot of other people that do it covertly. There's all kinds of ways to steal, right? On your taxes, all, all kinds of stuff. And so what the Bible is saying is when it comes to finances, when it comes to stuff, don't steal to get it. That's level one. There are people who steal. But then it goes level two. And level two is this, but rather let him labor doing honest work. Two separate words there. Notice the Bible didn't just say work, but doing honest work, doing honest work with his own hands. The phrase there means doing something useful, doing something beneficial, So level number two, when it comes to our stuff, is we can steal to get it, or we can work to get it. We can work to get it. And here's what I want you to hear me say when it comes to work. A lot of us have a bad relationship when it comes to work, but yet we spend so much of our life, arguably half of our life is spent doing work. But a lot of us don't get the joy out of doing work the way that God wanted us to. A lot of us see work as a curse. But I want you to understand something. Before sin ever entered the world, before the curse ever happened, God gave Adam a job. So contrary to popular belief, work is not a curse. It's not a curse. God gifted us with time and talents to do work. So you see this before God ever created Eve, God said, hey, go work, Adam, go cultivate. Which I always tell ladies, those are the two things you want to look for in a man. They got to love Jesus and they got to have a job, right? If they don't have a Jesus and a job, I just, that's two J's right there, right? Very simple. Jesus job. That's a low threshold. They don't have those walk, right? They need Jesus and they need a job and you don't missionary date into that, right? And so that's a whole nother sermon for, we'll get into that in February when we talk about family development. All right. But I want us to understand something. Work is meant to be a joy. It's meant to be a joy. And you're like, well, you don't work at my job. No, listen, there are bad bosses and there are bad things. I get all that. But but here's my point. Work is a dignified thing. Why? Because God created us to create. And we'll get more into this next week when we talk about the fourth objective. But God created us to create. Haven't you noticed that when you do honest work with your hands, you get a sense of satisfaction from it? You get a sense of joy of doing something. And so I want you to hear me say, a lot of us, we waste our life in the wrong kind of work. So therefore it's not satisfying to us. But no matter what the work is, no matter what it is, we can do work in such a way where it glorifies God and brings us joy. And that's the way God wanted us to do it. He wanted us to do work with our own hands. Why? Because it brings about a certain amount of joy and satisfaction And and I'm just the type of, I love work. Not only because I love working at the church, I just love work in general. 
I, I loved working with my father. He owns his own air conditioning business. That's what I thought I was going to do with my life. I was going to be an HVAC man. And I loved that partly because it was my dad and partly because we got to do work. My, my dad always said, no, you're going to go to college. And so I went to college and now I'm a pastor, right? But I love work. Even I was in college, I drove a school bus and I loved it. You're like, how in the world can you like driving a school bus? I'm not saying it wasn't tough, right? We had this sign in, in the bus barn. Was, it said, school bus, the only job where all your problems are behind you. <laughs> you, get, you get it, right? The school bus driver's in front. Everybody's behind. All right. But even in that, I loved it. I loved it because I got to see. In my bus, I had kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade on one bus. So I got to talk to them about Jesus. Two kids, I got to lead to Jesus and give them Bibles. So, so it doesn't matter what the work is. The point is work is meant to be dignifying. Work is meant to be done honestly so that you can get joy from it. But here's what it comes to when it comes to why we work. A lot of us, we work not just for work itself, but we work to earn money. And so therefore what happens is we have a bad relationship and what can happen in level two is we only work to get. We only work to get. But see, the Bible is relentlessly calling us to level three. And that's what he said there in Ephesians 4, 28. Look back at it. He says, so that he may have something in order to share. May have something. See, the Bible doesn't have a problem with you having something. I want you to understand that. We'll get into this more in just a little bit. The Bible does not have a problem with us having stuff. Not at all. The Bible says work, have, it's okay. He wants you to have, but here's the thing. He wants us to have so that we can have something to share. You see what I'm saying there? So let me give you my point. This is my whole point for today's message and we'll unpack it even more in 1 Timothy chapter six. My point is this, work to get in order to give. Work to get in order to give. See, this is the third level. And what I loved about what Piper pointed out in his devotional was the Bible is relentlessly calling us to live on the third level. Work to get in order to give. So that, see, that's a purpose uh, clause. That's a clause of purpose. It's saying this is why God wants you to work. God wants you to work, one, because it's dignified in and of itself. But when you work, you earn money for that. And God wants you to have money so that you can give, so that you can share. So the point is this. It's not a sin to have. It's just a sin to keep. Or, or, or let me do alliteration. It's not a sin to have. It's just a sin to hold. I just made that up, man. I'm quick. It's not a sin to have it. It's just a sin to hold on to it, to say, mine, 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 mine. Right? The, the point that God is trying to get us to is to say, hey, work to get. Yes, do honest work. Don't steal. Do honest work. But why are you doing honest work? So that you can have something to share with those in need. So those are the three levels or the three ways that we can have relationship with stuff when it comes to being generous. And the Bible is consistently calling us to live on level three. Now, flip over to 1 Timothy chapter six. It'll be after Ephesians if you have your Bible. If you got your phone, you can just scroll to it. If you don't have either, we've got it here on the screen. In fact, if you don't even own a Bible, we'd love to give you one for free after service so you can get it at Next Steps. But 1 Timothy chapter six, we're gonna start in verse 13, uh, sorry, verse 17, and then work our way to the end of the chapter, verse 21. 
In 1 Timothy, you have Paul writing to Timothy, who was putting into order the churches that Paul had started. So Paul's writing to Timothy things he needs to do in leading the churches that Paul had started. And so he said, I put you in place there to put in order. So to get order in the church. And at the last part here, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is instructing Timothy to tell the church something. I think it's interesting that he ends with this. So look at this, 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul says this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, let's unpack this sentence. He says, as for the rich in this present age. Now, the moment I said that phrase, you probably thought, oh, sweet, he's not talking about me. Right? Like, oh, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. Whew, I thought he was about to talk about me, but he's talking about the rich folk. Well, let's just do a little statistics here. It depends on how you calculate. And I calculated this week. In the United States, we, we talk about the 1%. The 1% are the wealthy, and then you got the 99, right? And there's definitely an income gap between the two. But if you look just in the United States, the top 1% are people who earn per year $400,000 or more. So again, right now you're like, whoo, he ain't talking about me. I ain't in the top 1%, right? I ain't, and maybe you are. God bless you. Not because you sneeze, but I'm saying God has blessed you, right? That's great. But let's go a little bit wider than the United States. Let's look at the world, right? Because that's what he's, this present age, this present eon, this present time period. So, so the Bible, I mean, obviously when the Bible was written, it wasn't even talking about the United States because the United States didn't exist. And so it's talking about humanity. So if you broaden out, if you, listen, this, this is crazy. If you make $32,000 a year or more, you're in the top 1% in the world. Top 1%. If you make $32,000 a year or more, I mean, that is a little bit above the poverty line in the United States, lower than the average income of people in this county and in Pickens County. So when the Bible says, as, the rich for this, as for the rich in this present age, we could just say, okay, it's talking about everybody that makes above this amount. And so when we think about riches, we need to think about Okay, God gave me riches because he wants me to do something with it. And the very first thing he wants me to do with it, he says here, is not to trust it. Why? Because money comes and money goes. Have you realized that one yet? A lot of times you got more month than money. I love this verse, not because I like it, but because of what it says. But Proverbs 23, verse 4 and 5, it's on the screen, I'll just read it to you. Proverbs 23, verse four and five says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. desist. Verse five, when your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Have you realized that yet? You're like, where did the money go? Like it sprouted wings and flew off. You're like, bye money, right? Like it just, it doesn't take much. I mean, stuff happens. Life happens. I mean, I've had a lot of life happen this year. 
And so there's been a lot of circumstances where money is just going out, surgeries, broken ankles, all kinds of crazy stuff I can't even talk about yet, and, and just things that have happened in our life. And, and what the Bible is saying, the first thing we have to understand is just because we have money doesn't mean we're secure. I think one of the most amazing things is in the 60s, we put on our dollar bills, on our money, our paper money, this phrase, in blank we trust. In who? God. Why in the world do you think we would put that on our money? To remind ourselves, don't trust in the money, trust in God. Why? Because money sprouts wings and flies away. I just thought of the R. Kelly song for some reason, right? Just fly away, right? Sorry, it just happens in my mind. And so what the Bible is saying is, why in the world would you trust something that's not stable? It comes and it goes. Just because you have more doesn't mean you're secure. But the Bible says, but trust on God. Why? Because God is a much more solid foundation. But there's a phrase after that that I want to really focus on. He says, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Let me talk to you a second about God. A lot of, especially if you're new today, you're like, dang it, I knew I shouldn't have come to this darn fall festival. This is what the church is talking about. I want you to understand something. This might be the best message you've ever heard. Not because I delivered it. Let me clarify. But I want you to understand something about God. See, a lot of us think that God is this cosmic killjoy, that he's up in heaven with a cane, old man looking to strike down whom he might devour, right? The Bible describes Satan like that, not, not God. You know, what, you know what the Bible just said about God? Look back at it. The Bible said, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Can I just tell you something? God wants more joy for you than you want for you. I thought we'd get an amen on that one. Let me try it again. Everybody, both campuses. God wants more joy for you than you want for you. Amen. amen. Thank you. And, and this is why I want you to understand this, because if you think wrongly about God, then your whole faith will be wrong. But I want you to understand something about God. God is not trying to hold out on you. He didn't create you so that he could keep stuff from you. He created you so that he could be generous to you so that you can enjoy him and his gifts. But here's what Timothy is, is being instructed by Paul. He's saying, listen, don't just enjoy the gift, enjoy the giver. Because if you just enjoy the gift, the gift comes and the gift goes. But if you enjoy the giver, then you will understand if my hope is on God, then everything he gives me, I can enjoy it. Because I'm enjoying the giver, not just the gift. See, that's the kind of God we serve. God is out for your joy. God wants, why do you think God created oceans and mountains and trees and giraffes? I mean, for real. Why do you think God created cows and pigs? We'll get into this next week. It's so we can make barbecue and enjoy it. And I, I'm being dead serious. I'm not being trite here. But, but when you eat an orange, when you eat an apple, we love going to LJ and picking apples on Blue Ridge. Sorry. We love that. Why? Because to us, it's like, this is amazing. We just get apples out of the store, but they actually come off of trees. You know what our most favorite thing to do is to pick them right off the tree. They're so fresh because most apples in the store are a year old because they got refrigeration down. 
So, so when you get one right off the tree, but you know why God made an apple? Not because he was bored. He made an apple, not so that Adam and Eve can sin against him, but he made an apple to enjoy. But what was the failure of Adam and Eve? They thought the apple could bring them more joy than God. See, I want you to understand something about God. God is out for your joy more than you are. And he creates everything he created because he wants you to enjoy it. Why? Because he's a good dad. Last night, Lindsay was already starting Christmas shopping. And, and you may be one of those that's early or you get it on Christmas Eve, right? But Lindsay is one of those that's early. And she was shopping online, which is her favorite form of shopping, which we've got to be careful for, right? And, and so she's shopping and she asked me a question. She said, hey, is $150 enough for each kid? And you may be thinking, enough? That's too much. Or you may be thinking, 150 Wow, you can get away with 100 Well, my daughter's seven, right? So it's cheaper. But, but you know what I said to her as a father? I said, baby, I don't know if $150 is enough. Why? Not because I'm trying to raise spoiled brats, but because I want my kids to enjoy the gifts we give them. And then my son sent us his list and it was way over $150. I'm like, all right, let's back it down a little bit, right? <laughs> but my heart towards my kids is for them to enjoy what I provide. Where does that heart come from? didn't come from monkeys. It came from God because that's who God is. God provides us with everything to enjoy. So here's what Paul is saying to Timothy to tell the people, don't trust in riches because they come and go. Trust in God. Why? Because if you trust in the gift, you'll lose it all. But if you trust in the giver, you're never short on gifts. Because you're trusting in the one who has the ability to create something out of nothing. See, a lot of us, we got this pie theology. I mean, we just think about a pie. Like if, if I get a slice, then that's a less slice for you. So our philosophy is I'm going to work to get more because if I get, if you get some, then I don't get some. And so I'm going to work to get more. Can I just tell you, God's not limited to one pie. Praise God, right? God could create new pies. God does not need natural resources to bring something into existence. God created the natural resources that are in existence. And so when it comes to trusting God, I want you to understand something. If you trust in him, then you are trusting in the one who has the ability to create something out of nothing. And so if you're looking at your life and you got nothing, guess what? If you got God, you got everything. You got everything you need. And I got to remind myself of that. Because like I said, we've had a tough year this year, personally. But if you trust God, he's going to continue to richly provide you with everything for you to enjoy it. So he moves on. Look at this, verse 18 and 19. He says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, a couple things here. He says, they are to do good. Remember, honest work with your own hands, that word honest, same word as the word good here. They are to, to do honest work, do good works. Well, how do I do good works? How do, how do I do good? Two ways, he says, being rich in good works and being generous and ready to share. So there's two ways we can be generous, with our work and with our wealth. 
So I want you to understand something. When we're talking about generosity, we're not just talking about money. We're not just talking about finances. We're talking about your time. We're talking about your gifts, your talents. And so God calls us to be generous people, generous with our time, generous with our praise, generous with our life, generous with our finances, generous with our serving. So when we talk about generosity, it's not one area of our life that we're trying to kind of pigeonhole this into. We're saying, no, in general, God calls us to be generous. This is why we want people to attend a service and serve a service. That's being generous with our time. When it comes to serve Saturdays, listen, I get it. It's a commitment. You got to show up there and that means you can't show up other places. That's being generous. But, but guess what? That generosity pays off just like it did in Jasper. The, the favor that God has given us in Jasper is because we moved in to serve this city instead of just taking from the city. So we move from being takers to being givers. That's what Ephesians 4, 28 said. There's a process here. There's a journey. And so God wants us all to go on a generosity journey in every area of our life where we go from being takers to being earners to being givers and generous with everything, with good works and with wealth. This is why we created, and this is out at our next steps area, both uh, in, in Jasper and in Canton, called the Generosity Journey. There, there's a journey that we all go on. And we go from kind of being generous occasionally to intentionally, to proportionally, to sacrificially, to eternally. There's this journey that we go on. And what we're saying as a church is a part of this objective. We want to help you go on this journey. We want to walk with you to go on this journey, to you go from being a taker to a giver, from being stingy to being generous, from saying mine to saying his and theirs. You see what I'm saying? We want to help you on this journey. And it's not just finances, but obviously, bless you, it includes, it includes finances. That was because somebody sneezed, all right? It doesn't just include finances, but it for sure includes finances, and this is why we ask people to make commitments to give. And hear me, this is, this is the part in the message where I feel so tempted to, to kind of pull back on. And I just got to be honest with you, like anytime I have to talk about this subject, I get so anxious. I woke up anxious this morning because I know when I talk about this subject, people are going to be like, I knew it. There he is. I'm, I'm going to dispel that myth in just a second, but I do want you to understand something. When it comes to finances, of course, we are to be generous with our finances. That includes regular giving. It also includes sacrificial giving. And as a part of Multiply, we are asking you to make a commitment. In Canton, we got these in the seat back in front of you. In Jasper, you can get them at Next Steps. And so we started this initiative at the beginning of the year where we want people to make a commitment to give above and beyond their regular giving so that we can multiply into other cities. And so this initiative, our goal was, in case you weren't here, was to, in a three-year time period, to raise an additional year's budget, so get four years into three, so that we can have capital to multiply new campuses and new churches. And so our budget in a year right now is $3.8 million. So when we launched this initiative in January, people made commitments in March, we got $3.1 million committed which is a great start, man. I mean, go revolution. That's awesome. That's a commitment above and beyond regular giving. But as we were running the numbers, I want to tell you something and hang with me because I'm going somewhere with this. I promise. When we ran the numbers, that 3.1 million was committed 
by 18% of the givers in our church. Now hold with me here. I'm not trying to induce guilt. I just want to point something out. Last year, we had 1,427 giving units. That means people who gave anything to the church. This year, we've increased that by over 200. So this year, we have over 1,600 giving units so far. So that means 18% of those 1,427 people made a commitment to multiply. Now, now I get people will give without making commitments, and and that may have been you, but I want want to point something out to you. That means 18%. Wow, 3.1, that's amazing. But just think about what that number would be if we just got it to 50%. In fact, if those 1,800 people just tithed, we wouldn't have to even do the initiative. And why am I saying that? One level I'm saying that because I want you to pray about committing. And so take this envelope this trifold, pray about it. And two weeks from now, November the 12th, bring it back with your commitment, turn it in. So I do want you to pray about that. But there's another reason why I want you to be generous. And here's why it goes back to the text. The reason why I want you to be generous is because God said something here that I don't want you to miss. He says, they are to be generous and ready to share. Why? Let me read it again. Thus storing up treasure for themselves. For who? Let me say that again. Come on, both, both locations. For who? Themselves. Can I just, I'm about to get really excited. Can I just tell you something? This is not about getting something from you. This is about getting something for you. This is about for you. That's what the, I didn't say that. That's what Paul said. It's in the scriptures. He says, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying when it comes to finances, we're too short-sighted. We just store up for retirement. But do you understand retirement was an American creation? It's not a biblical one. And so if you're trying to to retire, like if you're trying to hit 65 and go to your golden years where you have an RV and go by the lake and drink Mai Tais, if that's what you think about retirement, then let me just tell you, you are too short-sighted. You're not thinking far enough into the future. 65 to 85 is not heaven. Just ask anybody in that age group. They'll tell you. So, So what am I saying to you? Think past that. Think past, that's what the Bible's saying. Think past that. You gotta think, listen, it is, and we'll get into this next year too. It is a great thing to store for retirement. I have retirement accounts. You should be good financial managers. You should have life insurance. I'm not saying don't do those things. Here's what I'm saying. Don't do those things to the peril of not also investing in eternity. Why? Because you're cheating yourself. Jesus said this. In the gospels, you'll either serve God or you'll serve money. One of them is destroyed by moth and rust. Another one is never destroyed. So he said, store up. See, the problem is not that we are storing up. The problem is where? See, here's the thing. If you and I don't become generous people, we miss out on the joy God has for us. We miss out on the joy that God has for us. He's saying, this is for you. Command them to do this because this is for them. They'll store up treasure for themselves. 
And so we need to understand that when we're talking about being generous, what we're saying is Jesus was for real and he was right when he said, it is more blessed to give than to what? Receive. Now listen, I'm not saying it's not blessed to receive. The Bible's not saying that. It is blessed to receive, praise God. But it is more blessed to give. Why? Because the more I give, the more I'm like God. And the more I'm like God, the more joy I have. Have you noticed that some of the most miserable people on the planet are also the most stingy? And yet, I don't know if I've ever met a person who was so generous that they didn't have joy. This is for you, man. This is just an opportunity for you to get in on the Jesus joy, the journey of joy of becoming more like him. Look at this last two verses, verse 20 and 21. He says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble. I love that phrase. I'm just gonna put it in there. This is irreverent babble. Like I just gonna, I'm gonna throw that in conversations from now on. I just love that phrase. Irreverent babble. And contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. See, here's what Paul's, this is why Paul ends his letter to Timothy with this. He's saying, listen, Timothy, if you don't understand that God deposited in you, that God was the initial giver, God has been generous to you. If you fail to understand that, then you'll swerve from the faith. You'll think that those three levels, stealing, working, and giving, you will think that you have everything that you have simply because you've been working for it, and you will fail to understand that you have everything that you have because God's been working for you. Not for you like an employee, but what I'm saying is you have the gift and talents and the air that you breathe in your lungs because God gave it to you. You don't have anything on your own. You are not a self-made man. That is a contradiction of terms. No one is. I'm not. The first man wasn't. He didn't make himself. He didn't think, oh, I'm going to create myself. No, God did it. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, avoid irreverent babble and contradictions. You know what that word contradictions is? It's literally the Greek word antithesis. It's where we get our English word antithesis from this word. And what he's saying is this. If we're not generous, we're the antithesis of God. You know what antithesis means? Let me give you the definition of it. And I got to go. Antithesis is this, a person or thing that is a direct opposite of someone or something else. I was listening to a sermon this week that blew me away. And this is what the pastor said. He's a pastor in Chicago. He said this. He said, we've created a lot of churches where we try to get people to like Jesus instead of creating churches where people are becoming like Jesus. And I want you to hear me. Our goal is not for you to just like Jesus. Our goal is for you to be like Jesus. Because if you're not like Jesus, then you're a walking contradiction. That's what he's saying. And I don't know about you. I don't want to be a walking contradiction. And it's not just about not stealing anymore. Yes, it's about working hard, but it's about working to get in order to give. And when I'm like that, I'm the most like God. Why? Paul said it. Grace be with you. See, that word there with is a preposition of association. What that means is I'm in relationship now with God. And when I'm in relationship with God, I become like God all by grace, all because Jesus worked on the cross for me. So I want you to hear me, church. Why is generosity development objective all by itself? Because this is ultimately a discipleship issue. We want you to be like Jesus.
And would anybody here say that Jesus had very much in this life? No, he wasn't rich. But Jesus gave much, didn't he? And would anybody here say that any other human being had more joy than Jesus? You want to know why Jesus had so much joy? Because he got to give his life. God didn't make him. He got to. He chose to. And it was in the giving of his life. Paul says in Philippians, it was for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. See, generosity and joy are so tied together. And when you see Jesus, how generous he's been to you, not only will you be saved, but you'll want to become like him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace in our life. You have been so good to us, so generous to us. None of us here have anything that we have by ourselves. It's because you worked for us in order to give to us life, not only physical life, but spiritual life, eternal life. So God, I pray right now for anybody watching or listening that has never trusted you. They've never received. They've never received. They've never been blessed by receiving you, by being saved. I pray right now, God, you'd save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, let's just take a moment. And I want to ask you a simple question. Do you understand how generous God has been to you? He gave his life for you. Not to make you feel guilty. Hear me. He gave his life so that you could enjoy him. Jesus did it out of joy for himself and for you. And so without a relationship with Jesus, you're only costing yourself eternal joy. So God's not out to get you. God was out to get himself for you. So if you've never trusted Jesus, I want you to understand something. You don't understand generosity because God's not asking you to earn anything when it comes to salvation. He's asking you to receive what Jesus did, what Jesus earned. So if you want to trust Christ for the first time, right there where you are, I'm going to ask you to pray with me to yourself, not out loud. I'm not trying to embarrass you. If you want to trust Christ for the first time, pray this with me. Say, God, thank you for loving me. You sent your son to die in my place for my sins. Thank you for loving me and being generous to me. I ask you to forgive me. Save me. I give you my life. Now again, nobody looking around or talking here as we close. There's never been a point where you've gone public with that faith, we're gonna give you that opportunity right now. So if you just prayed to trust Jesus for the first time, I want you to do something for me. Would you just simply lift your hand? Just simply lift your hand. Thank you. Thank you. We got some men and women that are gonna walk around and put a gift in your hand. And when they do, you can put it down. We wanna be generous to you. There's a Bible, a devotional, some next steps there. And so when they give that to you, you can put your hand down. But then all of us, 
I want you to understand that God is relentlessly calling us to live on this level three, to work to get in order to give. And the reason why is not because he wants something from us, but he wants something for us. He wants us to take hold of that, which is truly life. And that phrase there to take hold of means to experience. And so this is the best message we could have done on a weekend where a lot of guests are in the house because I want you to understand something. This is about your own experience of joy. God wants you to live a life that you enjoy, but that only comes as you're generous. And so as a church, let's make that commitment to be like God, not just to like God, but to be like God. And be generous so that we're not a walking contradiction, but we are generous like God was to the point of even being willing to lay down our life so that others may know Jesus. God, we ask this. God, thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. I pray that you would bless it now that it's gone forth. I pray that it would not return void. It would have its effect in our life, and that effect is for us to be like you. Thank you for loving us and being so generous to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you get out of here, will you give it up for those who trusted Christ? It's awesome. Uh, over the next couple weeks, I'll, I'll be sharing with you some ways that, that your giving has made such a big difference. Uh, in the life, not only our church, but beyond. So make sure you're here for that. Enjoy this week. Uh, we got two more weeks in this series. We'll hit objective four and five. So make sure you're here for those. I love you. We'll see you next week.